Just be brave and strong. Thank you very much, Anne, for reading us. If you just give me two seconds here, I'm going to try and get a clip up on the phone. Um, This morning is going to be a bit of an interactive service, so be warned, hence our boxes here. Um, Your participation will be greatly appreciated, um, if you so oblige. But first, as a way into our sermon this morning, a clip from Finding Nemo. Yes, Marlon. I, no, I see it. It's beautiful. So, Coral, when you said you wanted an ocean view, you didn't think you were going to get the whole ocean, did you? Huh? Oh, yeah. A fish can breathe out here. Did your man deliver, or did he deliver? My man delivered. And it wasn't so easy. Because a lot of other clownfish had their eyes on this place. You better believe they did. Every single one of them. Mm-hmm. You did good. And the neighborhood is awesome. So you do like it, don't you? No, 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 no. I do, I do, I do. I really do like it. But Merlin, I know that the drop-off is desirable with the great schools and the amazing view and all that, but do we really need so much space? Coral, honey, these are our kids we're talking about. They deserve the best. Look, look, look. They'll wake up, poke their little heads out, and they see a whale passing right by their bedroom window. You're going to wake the kids. Oh, right, right. We'll name uh, this half Marlon Jr. and then this half Coral Jr. Okay, we're done. I like Nemo. Nemo? Well, we'll name one Nemo, but I'd like most of them to be Marlon Jr. Just think in a couple of days we're going to be parents. Yeah. What if they don't like me? Marlon. Oh, really? There's over 400 eggs. Odds are one of them is bound to like you. What? You remember how we met? Well, I try not to. Well, I remember. Excuse me, miss. Can you check and see if I have a hook in my lap? Marlon! Oh, you gotta look closer because it's way in the air. Here he is! Cutie's here! Where did everybody go? Coral, get inside the house, Coral. inside you right now. So here we are again, having a look at what Rich Mullins would have called one of the weirdos of the Bible, or as I'm calling them, the Bible's colorful characters. And just as we did a couple of weeks ago with Balaam, what we're hoping to do this morning is to give a flavor, an overall impression, or even just to paint a picture of someone's life and ask, what does that story say to us today? As we try to stumble and fumble our way around faith, in the individual settings, circumstances, and families that we find ourselves in. Finding Nemo. 
I promise I'm not going to get a clip to start each of these colourful characters, but Finding Nemo did seem quite apt. Because in this movie, we realise that the two, the, the, the husband and wife, have had quite a normal life. They're, they're waiting on the kids being born, yet something attacks from outside. And for the rest of the father's life, he has to confront his fears. He becomes overly cautious. He's worried about what will happen to Nemo, the one that survives, if He goes out into the big bad world by himself. What's going to happen? What's round the next corner facing fear? And so it is with Joshua and the Israelites as we find in the first six chapters of the book of Joshua, which we're going to try and explore together this morning. Facing fear. So who is this guy? Joshua probably seems like a very good place to start. Because if you're going to try and understand someone's story, you probably need to understand a little bit of their history and what has brought them to the point that we find in our reading this morning. Hence, Anne was reading to us the first chapter of the book of Joshua. But Joshua, we read earlier on in Scripture, we read that Joshua began life as a slave in Egypt under cruel Egyptian taskmasters, but he rose to be the leader of the children of Israel through faithful obedience to God. Names. Names are important. Naming a child. How often when we hear that a child is going to be born in our family do we spend tons of time pondering names? Will the name that we give this child reflect something of its characteristic as it grows up later in life? All you have to do is walk into Waterstones or search on Amazon and other search engines and shops are available and you can discover tons of books about naming children. It's Moses who gives Joshua his name, which means the Lord is salvation. Names. Names are very important. We read in the narrative that when Moses sent 12 spies out initially to scout the land of Canaan, only Joshua and Caleb returned, and only they, sorry, they all returned, but only Joshua and Caleb believed that the Israelites could in fact conquer the land with God's help. And as a result, God then sent them back out into the wilderness. They were on the verge of coming into the promised land, but their doubts and fear and anxiety sends them back out into the wilderness to wander for 40 years. And of those spies, the 12 initial spies, only Joshua and Caleb survive. So before the Jews then get to enter Canaan for the first time, or theoretically what could have been the second time, had they believed in God the first time, Moses has died and Joshua becomes his successor. Now some Bible scholars believe that Joshua is kind of an Old Testament representation or foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. What Moses couldn't do, Moses representing the law, Joshua achieves when he successfully leads the people of God out of the desert and into the promised land. So basically what we're hoping to do this morning, with a little bit of interaction along the way, is to tell the story of the first six chapters of the book of Joshua. So cue the interaction. Could I ask everybody to get to their feet? Come on, don't be shy. Great. And repeat after me. Be strong. strong. And very courageous. courageous. Do not be afraid. afraid. 
For the Lord will go with you wherever you are. Turn to the person beside you and repeat after me. Be strong. I'm very courageous. Do not be afraid. For the Lord will go with you wherever you are. Thank you. <laughs> Sit down. Thank you. Be strong and very courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord will go with you wherever you are. So a logical question to begin with is, well, what were they afraid of? Well, let's see what the text says. We read that the children of Israel are going to have to go into battle. And these aren't a trained army, so you can imagine the fear that enters their very hearts when they hear that they're going to have to go into battle. I know if I was told that I was going to have to go into battle, I certainly wouldn't be wearing this outfit, nor would I be jumping up and down with glee. But so it is, they're going to have to go. But for the Israelites, this idea of battle was something that already existed in their national kind of story. They knew what had happened in the past. They had overcome the Egyptians. Moses had led them out in the Red Sea. But now, in order to get to the promised land, once again, they were going to have to go into battle. It's all about facing fear. They were safe in the wilderness from enemies, but now to get to the promised land, they were going to have to face their fears. So here we go. Let's delve right in to the story. We find in the first six chapters that Joshua, like any good boy scout, believes in being prepared. So he sends some people to check out Jericho first. Sending people to check Jericho first. Not surprising because the walls of Jericho were believed to be huge, bigger than our boxes at the front this morning. The outer wall was believed to be six foot thick and about 20 foot high, and the inner wall was about 12 foot thick and 30 feet high. And between the walls was a guarded walkway of about 15 feet wide, massive, probably bigger than our building project's going to be. Israel's problem was that they had to conquer, but there were some extremely large walls in their way. So two of the spies that Joshua sends to suss things out run into initial difficulties because the king of Jericho hears that there are spies in the city. And if you were a king and heard that there were spies in the city, what would your response be? Oh, let them have a wee look. No, this wasn't a house viewing. This was people who were going to come and invade your city. So the king sends people to hunt them. Meanwhile, the two spies find shelter with a prostitute, Rahab. Rahab initially recognizes them for who they are, and she hides them on a roof to keep them safe. And guess what? When the armies come searching for them, looking them out, they don't find them. So the two spies make a deal with her and say, if when we come to return uh, to conquer the city, if you tie a red thread in your window or on your door, we will keep you safe for the good that you have done us. So the spies return to Joshua. The people are ready. They're about to come to Jericho, but they realize something other than the walls stands in their way, namely a river. They've been here before haven't they? The Red Sea. River's important. 
So God commands Joshua and the priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant into the center of the Jordan River, which was at flood stage. And as soon as they stepped into the river, the water stopped flowing so the people could cross on dry ground. Sound familiar? Moses, Red Sea, parting, safely passing on dry sea. But something interesting happens by the time we reach Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13. The people are on their way. They know what they need to do. They have followed all the steps that God has asked them to go through. But here in this verse, we discover that Joshua has an encounter. When Joshua was near Jericho, he raised his eyes and saw a man standing standing before him, grasping a naked sword. Joshua walked towards him and said, Are you with us or are you with our enemies? And he answered, No, I am the captain of the army of Yahweh, and now I come. Captain of the army of Yahweh. Now that's interesting. Joshua is basically asking the stranger he meets in the road, Are you for us or are you against us? And the reply comes, Neither. Interesting. What could this be saying to us? Could it be saying, be careful when you assume that God is on your side? Maybe. Could it be saying, carry a question mark with you? Maybe. Could it be saying, don't restrict God to just thinking he's bound to be on your side? Maybe. But this stranger in the middle of the road gives Joshua some instructions. He says, take off your sandals because the place you're standing is holy ground. Take off your sandals, because the place where you are standing is holy ground. Sound familiar? What do we read when Moses encounters the burning bush? Take off your sandals, because the place you are standing is holy ground. Now, I'm sure there was nothing like an encounter with God to secure Joshua's credibility among the people before he leads them into battle. And in particular, an encounter so familiar to the one that the great leader Moses has had. And so now we enter chapter 6, the walls. We're finally here. And from now on, seven becomes a very important number. Yes, that's right. Chapter 6, 7 becomes very important. Some may sing that 3 is a magic number, but here what we're looking out for are sevens. In this section, we have seven priests, we have seven trumpets, we have seven days of marching, and on the seventh day of marching, they're to march around the wall seven times, facing their enemies. Now, seven is significant. We know that. We know that seven is an important biblical number. We remember the creation account about God creating the universe in six days and resting on the seventh. We remember that the candlestick in the tabernacle had seven strands. Seven, seven, seven. This marching around the walls seven times had huge significance to this community because seven was littered through their story. And what happens when they march around the walls seven times? Well, Jericho is destroyed without the people having to lift a sword. The walls come down, and eventually under Joshua's leadership, the people conquer and win, and true to their word, they save Rahab and her family. Okay, 
We said at the outset this was going to be interactive. Now comes an even more interactive part. I need about 50 volunteers, 50 able-bodied volunteers who are going to march around our walls of Jericho. And I also need a Joshua who can be a fearless leader. Who would like to be a Joshua? Patrick, would you like to be a Joshua? What? Yep, on your feet then, come on. Patrick's going to be our fearless leader who's going to lead us into battle. Do you want to come on up? Perfect. And we need a crowd of children of Israel to go with them. Come on, don't be shy, don't be shy. You're bound to be getting a wee bit stiff there. This is an opportunity to stretch your legs and get a bit of a dander. So we need 50 or so if you're able-bodied. This is the moment where everybody goes, isn't that Bible in the pew in front so interesting? No one is making eye contact. Okay, here we go. Are we ready, boys and girls? <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to do seven laps of the church, okay? And on the seventh, we're going to let out a really fearsome battle cry, okay? So Joshua, what's your name? Uh, Joshua. Joshua is going to lead us. You're a quick learner there. Perfect. One, two, three, on our marks, get set, go, seven laps. Yeah, and I'm playing a song there. Just lead us, yeah. No, all of us, all of us. Can we turn that up? I like George to do as well. I was Joshua, where's Joshua? Oh, there he is. We're approaching lap three. Just think of all those doing the London Marathon today. Lap three. Notice I'm not doing seven laps. But if you close your eyes, does it almost feel like now? Changed at all, and if you close your eyes, does it almost be there's Joshua coming on lap four, lap four, halfway there. How am I gonna be an optimist about this? How am I gonna be an optimist about this? Where do we There we go, Joshua's coming round for lap five. The rubble lap five. And the walls kept tumbling down in the city that we love. 
entered this spot for the new build. But if you close your eyes, does it almost feel like nothing changed at all? And if you close there we go, almost lap six. Does it almost feel like you've been here before? Six laps complete. Now we're going to enter our final lap. Lap seven's complete. Everybody stop. Everybody stop where you are. Stop where you are. And what we need now is a fearsome battle cry. Okay? So one, two, three. We need a big roar. Okay? One, two, three. Roar! <laughs> Give them a round of applause. Everybody back to your seats. <laughs> there was actually a point to that, believe it or not. <laughs> Okay, as people are finding their way back to their seats. It is a fun story. We hear it in Sunday school. We think, oh, the walls kept tumbling down. But let's get serious for a moment. The story of the falling of the walls of Jericho is probably one of the most violent episodes in the Bible. An army of nomads emerging from the desert to destroy a heavily fortified city, not by force, but by faith brings up all sorts of interesting questions. How do you face your fears? Do you face your fears? Today, we live in a culture of fear. Fear of what other people think. Fear of what lies round the next corner. Fear about what age we're going to be able to retire at because the economy is tightening. Fear of not being right. Fear of not being accepted. They're talking about layoffs at work and slowdowns in the economy and flare-ups in the Middle East and turnovers at headquarters. They're talking about downturns in the housing markets, upswings in global warming, breakouts in Al-Qaeda cells. Some, dictated, some demented dictator is collecting nuclear warheads like others collect fine wines. A strain of Asian flu is boarding flights out of China. The plague of our day, terrorism, begins with the very word terror. News programs most evenings probably should come with a caution to say this program is best enjoyed from a bunker somewhere in Iceland underground. We fear being sued. Finishing last, going broke. We fear the mole on the back, the new kid on the block, the sound of the clock as it ticks closer towards the grave. So what do we do? We sophisticate investment plans, create elaborate security systems and stronger military, yet we depend on more mood-altering drugs more than any generation in history. Moreover, the average child today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 50s. Fear, it seems, is taking hold. Oversized and rude, 
unwilling to share the heart with happiness, happiness complies. Do you ever see the two together? Can one be happy and afraid at the same time? Clear thinking and afraid, confident and afraid, merciful and afraid, for all the noise fear makes, it often does little good. Fear never wrote a symphony or a poem, negotiated a peace treaty or cured a disease. Fear never pulled a family out of poverty or a country out of bigotry. Fear never saved a marriage or a business. Courage did that. Faith did that. People who refused to consult or car to timidness did that. But fear itself, no. What is there to fear? FDR, Franklin Roosevelt said, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Yet we seem to live in a culture of fear and we don't often enter the promised land because we stay trapped in cycles of fear. There are scary things in our world today. And what does God say into the scariness of our world? Be strong and very courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord will go with you wherever you are. How good are you? How good am I at facing our fears of avoiding painful situations? Do we face them? The truth is that pain avoided always gets worse. Pain avoided builds up. Pain avoided isn't really avoided at all. But pain faced, on the other hand, but fear faced, on the other hand, equals lessons learned. But fear faced equals fear losing its power. No, I refuse to let blank run my life. Thomas Akempis has said that many of us are kept back from spiritual progress and amendment of life because we fear the difficulties we are sure to meet and the effort it will cost us to overcome them. Recently, I've been reading his book, The Imitation of Christ, and if any of you know me or have been to my flat, I have a general tendency to have about six books on the go at one time and never finish any of them. But this book, The Imitation of Christ, has been one that has been kind of mulling over in my mind for the past couple of weeks, because I think the words of Thomas actually haunt me. They speak directly to me, and they challenge me to my core, because I'm sure, like you, when I look at my life, I see things that really, I think, I wish just weren't there. Things that need changed, habits that need broken. Like Paul in Romans 7 when he says something to the effect of, the things I want to do, I do not do, and the things I hate, I do. Do we face it? But every time we do face it, it's like one lap round the walls of Jericho. One lap. And then we get to face it again, and then we get to face it again, and then we get to face it again, and again, and again, and again, and suddenly the walls are crumbling down, and they aren't there anymore. Let us leave here this morning. Let us go into the week that lies ahead. Let us go one lap round the wall. Ask yourselves as we come to a period of reflection in our service, what in my life 
do I need to face? What in my life do I need to march around? What do I need to say enough is enough to? What do I need to square up to and say I'm afraid, but I need to do something about it? What is God saying into that situation? Be strong and very courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord will go with you wherever you are. Be strong and very courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord will go with you wherever you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we realize of the world of fear that we seem to live in, yet we also acknowledge that you are the great liberator and that you have promised us that when we do face fear in life, that we have you with us. So as we enter this period of reflection for a couple of moments, as we read some poems, as we say some prayers, as we sing some worship songs, may we feel your presence near us. May we hear you speaking into our own individual lives, but also into our life here as a community. What fears do we need to face? What walls do we need to walk around? What do we need to march around and say, I'm going to conquer this because you have told me to? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you let your eyes continue to fall shut, as Steve would say, for the first of our poems by Padraig Otuma. The title is in Irish and not being an Irish speaker, I'm not even going to attempt it. But just keep your eyes closed as I read. There is your fear and your fear of your fear. There is your beginning and your fear of where you are. There is your body and the words about your body. There is your possibility and your hatred of all failure. There is the gaze and your fear of the gaze. There is your destination and your fear of where you're not. The band are going to come and lead us in the song, You Never Let Go. And as they do, why don't we remain seated for this? And just continue to reflect. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your love is casting out fear. Let's sit and sing the words together. There might be another slight issue with words in this one, so just follow the screen.
of this life. I won't turn back. I know you are near. Continue with your eyes shut for our second poem. It begins with a quote from Ignatius of Loyola. In a time of desolation, do not make a life-changing decision, and do not go back on a decision made during a time of consolation. Remember the times of consolation. This poem is called, Hold Yourself Together and Pull Yourself Apart. Remember that this has passed before, and there will be, day, there will be more days of plenty eventually. Pay attention to your feelings. Keep those feelings sharp. Try to hold yourself together and pull yourself apart. 
Keep your eyes on the prize that you might never gain. But don't ignore whatever pain is blooming like a flower that you never planted. Occupy your hands with kindness. Remember, you can see, even though this blindness is remarkable. Mark the places that you're feeling. Mark the spaces where you're needing held. Mark the evenings that are dark and mark the afternoon of coping. Mark the morning that you waken, finding morning has been taken to a different part of heartland. Remember what has passed before. Pour your body like the sacramental wine. Pour your blood with loving. Let us pray. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back. I know you are near, and I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. And if my God is with me, whom then shall I fear? Father, we pray that as we rise to leave from here today, that your perfect love would cast out all fear, fear of the uncertain, fear of the unknown, fear of the unchartered. Take us from the week that was into the week that is and will be, knowing that you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.